Lord has moved my heart. I don't know why in any particular reason to talk about our subject today is the biblical view of death. I've, I've got it later on in here. I'll try to skip it then as I get ready to start. But the reason I did this study, it was back in 2013. I was, I was teaching a Wednesday night class in Bloomington. There was a sweet little lady who was in her upper 80s. She came to me. Her name was Dorothy. And Dorothy came to me one day after teaching on David and about things that was going on. And she asked me, she said, I'm in my upper 80s. My grandfather was a minister. My father was a minister. My husband ministered and taught Bible class. And out of all of this time, no one has ever dared to talk about death, about dying, about why suffering, why death, and in a way that I can understand and be comfortable and to know and to trust in those things and why. And on the bequest of, of that sweet lady, I took upon a study of, of the biblical view of death there's several parts to it. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will lead me on whether it will be all together or other lessons in between that, that emphasize or go along with it. I will let him lead. But he's led me to the point that as, as time has gone on and we're seeing a lot more of that in the news, that it's time for the people of God to understand what it is that the most important thing is to have no fear of it. That was what she wanted to find out. And that's what I had to come to find out. Because I'll tell you, and again, this is a little bit later on, but I've got to share it now. I'll tell you, I was scared to death. Ever since I was a little boy, I would be thinking, I don't want to die too soon. I want to experience everything in life. I don't, I don't want to be taken out of here too soon. And I always worried about something like that. It got into my middle adulthood. And I was fearful to go and fly to Florida to visit my dad. I would go, but my wife would be, she didn't like to say goodbyes. So that morning it would be, in the private time. You sit there and you think. I pray this plane does not go down with me in it. I don't want to leave. It's not about me. But I don't want to leave my family behind. I don't want to leave. My, my wife. My daughter. My grandson. I don't want to see them have to go on without me. I need to be here to protect them. I needed this study as much as Dorothy needed this study. And I think the body of Christ needs it too. So I hope that, that you're ready for it. And I hope that this study not only exalts and glorifies God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the amazing love that He had for you and I, both of them, and the Holy Spirit. 
But also, I pray that this will edify and build up and strengthen each and every one of you in what life is, what death is, and how beautiful our Father is who has given us both by his divine decrees. The Lord created man in Genesis 1. I had a Bible teacher that is still my mentor, Mr. R.B. Thing. He's got one of the greatest studies on the creation in the book of Genesis that you have ever undertaken to study. And as he began that study, he said, I want to tell you something about mankind and God's creation and who we are. It says in Genesis chapter 1, it says in verses 26 and 27, 28, that the Lord God said, let us make man and let us make him in our image and in our likeness. And God set about to making man and he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish this earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the animals and the fowl of the air. And, and you, you go and you do. The next chapter we see God as it describes how he did that. And how he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of lives. And he said chapter 1 and chapter 2 talks about the creation and the breathing of life into the into mankind and man became a living being and then what we have as it goes on and in the next slide he said genesis 1 and 2 begins with that and you know how genesis ends in chapter 50 verse 26 the very last one it says and so joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in egypt he said the story of mankind, the story of the beginning in Genesis begins with man and God breathing life into man and it ends with man in a coffin and so shall it be to every single one of us unless we live until that day in 1 Thessalonians 4 where it says that there's going to be a shout, there will be a trump of God and it will happen that the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them and so shall we ever be with the Lord and unless we live to see that day come every one of us must face the river of death and crossing that river everyone man's life begins with the breath of God and it ends in a coffin and that's the way it is but we need not to be fearful of it the wages of sin God said is death in the book of Romans. And because man has sinned and man was sinful. Hebrews 9.27 says as a divine law and establishment of God. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed. It is a declaration. It is an appointment that we will keep. It is an appointed unto man to once die. And after this the judgment. I want to tell you something. And this isn't in the notes. Because it just hit me. It's appointed unto man once to die. But if you've been here long enough to have went back with me in the study of Genesis. And when God breathed in the nostrils of man the breath of lives. Do you, do you remember it was lives and not life? 
You know, the translation says that he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. But it's the breath of lives. Whenever you look into the original language, that's in the plural. And we said, why is that? That's because man was given both a physical and a spiritual life. It's appointed unto man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. That's physical. The second death is a choice. Your spiritual life is a choice. Whenever you make the choice for Christ to believe in him as the son of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth upon him should not perish or face that spiritual death, but should have life. That's, it's appointed unto man once to die. The second one is a choice. Do you die spiritually to self in this life through Christ and that choice for him? And if you don't make that choice and be buried with him, as it says in Romans 6, that when I am buried with him in baptism, I am buried unto death. I have now by choice, faced the second death, and I have been buried with him unto death and risen unto newness of life, and I shall not, the real me, shall not ever die again. But the word of God says that those who do not make that decision in this life, it says in the end of the book, whenever the saints are victorious, whenever through Christ, when Christ comes and wins the victory, and we are victorious and live forever with him, it says that in, in chapters 19 and 20 and 21 that there is going to be a war and that Satan is going to be overthrown and cast into that lake of fire. And then it says that the books are going to be open. And it's only going to be open for those who knew not Christ in this life because those who knew Christ were raised with him together into life and there we shall ever be with him. We, we are already judged in a different way, but we are, are forgiven through Christ. And those who did not make that decision in life now, they will stand before the great white throne of God and it says that their books will be opened and their life will be, the history will be brought forward to everyone. Why? Because you didn't die to self first. You trusted in self instead of Christ as your Savior. And so now when you stand before God, you don't stand before God with Christ as your lawyer and your redeemer. You stand on your own merit because you refused him in this life. So now you will stand before Jesus Christ on your own account and the, your life will be read. And then it says those that had refused Christ in this life. And that book is open and you are judged from the things that were written in that book. And it says they shall be cast into hell. Along with the devil and his angels. And then it, you know what it says to end it? This is the second death. It's only appointed unto us once to die, and that's physical. You don't have to die the second one at the end. You can do it now in Christ. I don't know, I was just moved to say that. 
we need to learn about spiritual and physical death. And we've learned a lot about spiritual death and making that decision for Christ in this life before it's too late. But now we want to talk a little bit about physical death and why we shouldn't have to fear it. It's appointed unto each one of us that one time to die and after that the judgment. But Christ was offered up once for our sins so that we would not have to die that second death. Turn with me into Psalms if you would. We're going to stay in the middle of the Bible here for a little bit. We're going to be in the Psalms, Proverbs, and Song of Solomon right there in the center of your Bible. So if you want to open it up and go there with me, I'm going to be in Psalm 116 first. Psalm 116, David writing by the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit tells you and I this. Because <clears throat> what we're going to do, <clears throat> what we're going to try to talk about, I set out to tell you the nine comments to lay the, this is just the foundation. There's nine comments about death that the Bible makes. And I set out to do all nine of them in this lesson and I got through three. That's all I was able to get to. So preview of coming attractions, it gets even better. But David, by inspiration on this first comment, one of the things we have to realize is, is that God does not view death the way we do. Psalm 116, 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That word for precious means to be something that is highly valued. Something that you treasure. God treasures you and I. He loved us. We know how much he loved us. But you know what? He treasures you and I. What he treasures above everything is when we go to be with him. When he gets to gather us to his kingdom. It says precious in the eye, actually. In the eye of God. It's the death of one of his saints that knows him. You see, God knows what's on the other side. And God views things a whole lot differently than what you and I do because he has the knowledge of everything and he knows what it's going to be like. He's told us that our mortal minds cannot imagine the things that he has prepared for those who love him. The one thing that we can rest assured in then is that if death is a divine establishment of God and it's set out as a law that all of us will have to face, then he's promised you and I a promise that it's precious in his eyes and it's going to be wonderful there. And only by learning Bible doctrine and learning what the word of God says about it will you and I be able to be relaxed about it, to be understanding of it, and to be ready for it in this life. That's the only way that we will be comforted with that thought. And he's told us a great deal about it. And I want to share that with you so that we have no fears. And so that we will say like David, whenever he faced his many valleys of the shadow of death, he said, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That's what we have to believe and trust in. And all of the things that he tells us. So with that, let's get started apart. From that day that I told you about when the Lord's going to descend and take us home. Apart from that day, all of us will be having to cross this. And it used to be depressing to me, but now it's not. And that's where I was telling you about me and that dear lady there. I want to tell you, one of the things that God has done for us 
to help us to have peace and comfort in the situation is he allowed a couple of people to face death, to go through death, and then to come back to give us an example that it's not bad. I know one of those was Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? And Jesus, Jesus purposely waited until he would be dead and in the tomb for three days already. There's that three days again. It, it's a theme that runs all the way through. Something's good whenever it says three days. And you remember how sad Martha and Mary were? And they came out to him. They were hurt. They were crying. And they said, Lord, if you would have came and been here before now, this would not have happened. He said, will you trust me that much? Do you trust me that there was a reason behind it? And that I had a purpose behind it? He said, didn't I tell you that you will live again? And she said, no. That's, I, you're talking about the resurrection. I believe that I'm talking about his physical life. And he said, just watch. And you remember he called Lazarus back out from the grave. You know what they were doing just a little while after that? As they was preparing for the death of Christ, of what he was getting ready to face, they had a feast in there in the home, and Lazarus was the head, head honoree along with Jesus because he had been resuscitated, not resurrected. For you see, we're going to find next week that God has the ability... To take the soul out of the body and put it back in. We're going to see that in a minute too. But he has the ability to take it out and put it back in. For three days, that, that soul of Lazarus was out of the body. Jesus said, Lazarus, out. And that's the only words he said in the original. Lazarus, out. And he came out and he was hopping and those that was here on Easter, whenever I had my little sarcophagus, he was hopping out and Jesus had to tell him, cut him loose. You know why? Because they wrapped him up like a cocoon with all those aloes and with all of those strips of cloth. And it was, it was like its own sarcophagus mummy type thing. And it's solid. It dries up. And he was trying to hop out. And he said, cut him loose. A little bit later, He's there at the dinner party when they anoint Jesus' head with, with the oil getting ready for his death. And he's, you know why everybody's there for that? And also to hear the story of Lazarus about what happened while he was on the other side. And I don't see that he deterred anyone. I'm going to give you the one, though, that I chose to share with you. I didn't even have that one down. But I chose to share with you Paul the Apostle. That we saw last week how that he became a Christian. And Ananias told him to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. And he went out immediately and began preaching this Jesus that he used to persecute. He was preaching him so strong that whenever he was at uh, Lystra. That these guys uh, from Iconium and from Antioch and places came. They were so jealous and so envious of him. Their hatred had boiled up in such a way that they turned all of the people against him. And then it says that they took him out and they stoned him. Now it says in Acts that, that they presumed him to be dead. They drug him out of the city and left him there. And he was 
I think he actually was at the moment, just like Lazarus was for a moment. Because then the, his, his disciples came and they were standing around. And a little bit later, he arose up and went right back into the city. But whenever he talked about that stoning that happened, he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12. And he said this in verse 2, I know a man. <laughs> he was writing third person. In the first verse, he's trying to tell him, I, I don't want to brag about the things that I have saw and the things that I don't, I, I'm trying not to boast. I'm trying to stay humble. I want God to humble me so that I don't get carried away with this and it's not about me. The message is about God and about it's not bad. He said, I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether he stayed in the body, I don't know. Or whether... He was out of the body. I don't know. Only God knows where I was at. Then he tells them, I was caught into paradise. And I heard some unspeakable, some inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He went into paradise. He got to see some things there. He heard some things that it was unlawful for him to come back and talk about. I'm wondering, Ronnie, that time with your dad. That's what your sister said when he was sharing with me. He had died for seven, eight minutes twice on the table. He called for me when he woke up. And he said, I saw some things. And he shared with me a few of the things he saw. But he says, um, I think you and nurse was in the room and he said I've got some more that I need to share with you but I want to do it just me and you I can't tell it to everyone else but I just want to share it with me and you and when I left I thought I don't know if he will ever get to do that he died shortly after that and when I went down hurriedly to try to catch it beforehand when I walked in his sister the first comment was God didn't want you to hear what he saw. It wasn't supposed to be. Remember that? Paul said, I was taken up into paradise for a while. I heard and saw some things that's inexpressible. And it's not lawful for me to tell you. But I know this one thing. That he went right back in the derby. It didn't scare him and make him stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he kept on preaching that gospel all the way up until the time when he would tell the Philippians. He says, it is better for me to live for Christ, but to die is gain. So if the man who had been stoned and felt the pounding of stones upon his physical body until his spirit left and went into an inexpressible place. For him to come back and say that for me to live is still Christ and for me to die would be gain, then that gives me all of the confidence in the world that if I trust and I believe in this word of God, I know that it will be just as it was promised. And just as our Lord is going to, in a minute, do that. As long as God has a plan for you and I, 
Just like with Paul, just like with Job, all of the powers of hell cannot take us out of this world until that time happens. My name is written in a book, and it has the direction of my steps. And I can't add one hair to my head, though, Lord, I would like it. I cannot add one more inch to my stature, and the Lord knows I would like for that to happen. But all I can do is trust into Him and His Word that says that believe me where you're going is so wonderful that your human mind cannot even fathom what it's going to be like. So the rest of the lesson today is about those nine comments. And like I said, we only got through three. One of the comments about death then is that it ends revolutions and revolts against the plan of God and against his divine establishment. Numbers chapter 16, if you'd like to turn there, verses 24 through 34 tells a story that we find some disgruntled members of the church in the wilderness that was out there. And what they did is, again, pride and envy started rising up within these men's hearts. There was Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they started talking about Moses, the man of God. And they were saying, we're just as good as he is. God is with us just like he is with them, isn't he? And so they began to say, we are going to start taking charge too, and we're going to start doing some things. And they came out, and they went, and their tongues started working. That envy and jealousy worked out into sowing discord among the brethren. And they went out, and they got 250 of the congregation that was in the wilderness with them, men of renown, it says, some of the top ones to follow along with them, and they got censors like what the priests had, like what Abraham, or I mean uh, Aaron and his sons had. And they took these censors and they said, we're just as good as you guys and we get to go do this too. And they started threatening. And so Moses, as the man of God always does, he hit the ground and he prayed. It says his face fell to the ground and he prayed. And God began to speak to Moses. And, and it starts being described up here in, in, uh, in these verses in verse 24. If you're following there, God tells him to speak to the congregation saying, Tell everyone to get away from the tents or the tabernacle of Koran, uh, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up from praying and he went to those three houses and the elders followed him. And he spake to the congregation and he said, Depart, I pray, all of you. In other words, do not associate with them right now. Separate from them or you will be involved in the same thing that they're about ready to. He said, Get away from them. Touch nothing that is theirs, lest you also become consumed with their sins. And so they got up. I like the old King James. They got up away from the tabernacle of Korah. They, I would too, wouldn't you? <laughs> if, if Moses said, get away and don't touch nothing or you're going to be involved in this, I would get myself up too. And it says, but then Korah, Dathan, and Abiram stood in the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their children. Whatever you do affects your whole family. Everything you do affects your whole family. So then Moses said, this is what God told me in my prayer. Hereby you will know what is the Lord's will that's going to be done. And that he sent me to do these works 
And you really didn't have a choice and neither did I. It was God's sovereign choice on what was going to happen. And he said, here's how the Lord said that we will know whether it is of God that I be here or not. And he said, if these men die a natural death or they're visited with the natural visitation of death. In other words, nothing spooky happens here right now. Nothing supernatural takes place. But they continue to live and they live their life long. And then they die of whatever reasons naturally in the course of life. Then it wasn't meant to be and I wasn't supposed to be here. But then he said that if it comes to pass that the earth opens up its mouth. And swallows all of them up and closes back up again. Then all of you shall know that this is the Lord's will and that they should not have came against the Lord and against his anointed. And it came to pass and that these men have provoked the Lord unto this. So in verse 31, you know your actions can provoke the Lord to do some things. And it came to pass that as he made an end of speaking these words that the ground clave in asunder that was under them the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained, in other words, the family of Korah and Dathan and Abiram and all of their goods. They and all everything that pertained unto them went down into the pit and then the earth closed back among them and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel fled away from that whole that was opening up and they were crying and the earth and they said let's get away lest the earth swallow us up too so one of the comments that we can make is is that our decisions have a great impact on either shortening or lengthening our days doesn't it and especially if we who are supposed to be believers begin kicking against the will of God and his things then he will have patience and he will have warning and he will try to spank. But if you go so far as they were doing, then God has to step in sometimes and do something about it in our life. These are called, we, so we learned just a couple of things. God doesn't like revolutions and revolts going against his will. But God has the common way and natures of death and he's got uncommon ways too, doesn't he? That's what we learn here, that there's more than one thing to this. The second comment on death that we can look at real quick is this fact that life can be lengthened or shortened. And many of the passages of the Psalms teach this, but I'm going to take us to Psalm 102 if you would like to turn there. Psalm 102, there's several verses here. But it says there, part of what can be discerned and our study on this is how important prayer is. It's one of the reasons we opened up this service with this prayer. I know how important it is for helping, for healing, and also for expend, extending life whenever we ask for it. Look at what Psalm 102, beginning in verse 17, we read, says that when we put our prayers in the hands of God, it says, He will regard the prayers of the destitute. Those of us who get to that place where we are begging and pleading with God. We have changed our lives. We are following him and we desire this in earnest. 
with an earnest and pure heart. He says, God will regard the prayer of the destitute. He will listen to it. He will not despise your prayer. And this shall be written. Why? For the generations to come and the people that shall be created to praise the Lord. That means for you and I. We're supposed to enter into his courts with praise and singing, aren't we? So we enter in with praise and we enter in with prayer. And we are those generations to come that he has created anew in Christ to do these sort of things. And he said, write this so that the generations to come will know this. And the people that are created to praise me will. And I will hear your prayer. For God looked down from the height of his sanctuary on his throne. He says, I looked down from heaven and I beheld the earth and I heard your groaning. And I heard your prayers. And here it was those who were the prisoners that had been taken in by the Babylonian captivity. But it is something that goes to all of us. It's a principal fact of the character of God. And it says that they sang his praise. And when the people, verse 2, when the people are gathered together, oh, verse 20, he will hear our groaning to loose. Now check this out. To loose those that are appointed to death. In other words, to stop it. Those who were appointed at that time, the prayers, the powerful prayers of the saints who are there to praise him and are now destitute and seeking. He says, I can loose, I can delay, I can stop the cords that held that that were appointed to death to those who declare the name of the Lord and praise him. And when the people are gathered together and your kingdom to serve the Lord, this is the answer to that prayer. He's saying, I prayed, I did these things. And then he says this in verse 23. I was weakened in my strength. God was shortening my days. And I said, oh my God, here's his repentance. Oh Lord, my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. In other words, don't shorten as it said up there in verse 20. Don't shorten my life and appoint me to death. Take me not in the way of the middle of my days. There's still years. And in verse 17, that was the, the, the prayer of the destitute one. And God said that he heard. He didn't shorten the life in the midst of it, but he loosed it and let it go on. So another comment that we have about death is this, that decisions can make a big difference. Prayer makes a huge difference. Repentance makes a huge difference. But going to God, God has the ability and that's why even though my steps are written in that book and I cannot go beyond them, God knew the end from the beginning. It plays out everything. And those steps <clears throat> are ordered according to how I live my life. And God, in his knowledge, has that. The next one is a psalm that agrees with this principle in Psalm 118, verse 18. It said, The Lord chastened me sore, but he did not give me over to death. And in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord, it's up here on the board for you, 1427. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart or turn away from the snares of death. You know, whenever we begin to fear the Lord, and that word means to, to have an awe of respect so that we give ourselves 
unto him and start following him wholly. That whenever we do that, it says, those who fear the Lord, he is a fountain of life and he can turn things around from the snares that was ready to entangle you. You know, everyone is looking for a fountain of youth. Someone told me the other day that I said, I didn't care about no fountain of youth. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. And she said, everybody wants youth. Everybody wants to be young and look young. And I said, not me. I want to, I want to search for the fountain of life. I don't care about a fountain of youth. I want the fountain of life. I want what the Lord Jesus Christ can give to us. Another comment, the third one, is in the Song of Solomon, if you want to go there. We went there a little bit on Wednesday night, too. This is the next chapter. We was in Song of Solomon, chapter 7. Uh, it was pretty funny, wasn't it? <laughs> we, anyway, God reveals everything to us. So in, in chapter 8 of the Song of Solomon, it reveals to us something. Did you know that there's something that's stronger than death? There's actually two things in this life that's stronger than death. And this verse gives us both of them. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. Verse 6 says, This is a Shulamite woman who is striving for the love of her life. And she says, Set me as a seal upon thy heart and as a seal upon thy arm. For love is strong as death and jealousy is cruel as the grave. And the coals thereof are coals of fire which has a most vehement flame. Actually, in the original, there is not no, like, love is strong as death. The as is not there. It's love, strong death. In other words, it's stronger than death. The emphasis is on how strong the love is and that the love is stronger than death. There are two things that are stronger than death, and that's love and then jealousy follows thereafter. And what this passage is trying to say is that true love is stronger than death. You want to know how many of our military men have died in service to this country because they loved their country, they loved their family, they loved their freedom, and so they gave their lives through love for that. The same with our law enforcement, the same with our EMTs and our fire departments and all of those who are of service our nurses and our doctors who stand on the front line and face the diseases every day, they do that out of love for the families that they serve and for their families and what they do. So in those senses, love is stronger than death, isn't it? Jealousy is stronger than death. Some people will do things in jealousy that either causes death to others or ultimately unto their self. I think whenever a long time ago we, we talked about Samson and what happened in the life of Samson and, and Miss Lisa and Eddie was able to get me the jawbone of an ass so that we can talk about that when he was, he was slaying them there. You know, it says that jealousy is, is a, a, a thing to where you need to dig two graves. For both of you. Jealousy is stronger than death. And so is love. And you know. As I sat there and meditated upon that scripture. One of the things that came into my heart was. 
That's the perfect example of what's going on in the spiritual world. Satan got jealous, didn't he? He wanted to be worshipped as God. And it did not matter that he ended up losing his place, that besides the Godhead, he was number one. He was the most perfect creature that the hand of God had ever created. But yet pride and jealousy and envy led that he chose not life, but death spiritually and separation from God forever. And then when God created us, to, he, he went out and he did like Korah did. And he sowed discord among the angels. And he got a third of them to follow into him and suit to say, we're better than you are and we ought to be in this place. And God had to cast them out of heaven. Jealousy was stronger than life. That's why we got to get rid of it in our minds. Don't let it get you to that place. Don't want to talk about love. Because love is stronger than death. And that's where God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit come into play. Because when I think in the spiritual realm that love is stronger than death. Adam in that garden. We had a study a couple years ago how that. Whenever he saw that his wife had partaken of that forbidden fruit and that now she was spiritually dead, her light had went out. And he knew that it was different and that the word of God was true and that the day that you eat of it, dying, you will die. And he saw that. You know what he did? He had a choice to make, didn't he? He had a choice to make of do I choose the safety of the garden and staying here and not allowing myself to die too? Or do I partake of that fruit with her and see what I can do about it before God and see if I can help her out? Adam is a like figure unto Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, the entire chapter will tell us this, that he is the figure of him that is to come. In verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the same way as Adam's transgression, because he was the figure of him that was to come. What does that mean? He was a figure of him to come because he wanted to do see what he could do for his bride. We are the bride of Christ, aren't we? We have fallen. He said in the heavenly realm, think about the comparison of Adam in the garden and the choice to make. Our Lord sat in the heavenly realm and he was being worshipped. He was God and he was sitting on the throne as God. And look what it says in Philippians chapter 2. He made a choice. He said, let this mind be in all of you which was in Christ Jesus. We are getting ready to see the revealed Mind of Christ actually given to you and I on what he was thinking at that time, sitting there knowing that we were lost because of sin. It says Christ's mind was this. He was in the form of God. He was very God on the throne, but he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And what that word robbery means is something to be held on to. 
that he didn't look at it as like something that I can take and not give back. That being God, there was something more important to him than sitting on that throne and being equal as God. So he made himself, verse 7, of no reputation. And that word means to pour out, to empty out, to become empty and useless. So in other words, him being God, he said, I am not going to stay that way. I have to do something to help the bride. And he poured out his godly nature. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made into the likeness of you and I. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Love is stronger than death and being God. Wherefore, because he made that decision and did that, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the love of Christ for his creation was stronger than death of the cross, humbling himself to being a servant and even of being God, that he would rid himself of all of that so that he could come down and face death. That was the mind of Christ. And then the book of Hebrews tells us this was the same depth of love. In chapter 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, who was the author and the finisher of our faith, why did he do it? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He didn't want to have to go there. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, not my will, but thine be done. He humbled himself to the cross. He despised its shame, but he endured it and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him that endured that for us that we would not become wearied and faint. You see, Jesus loved us that much. That he looked at it through love as a joy. Not that he wanted to go through it, but he saw on the other side of it, the joy that was set before him on the other side of that. And what was that joy that he saw? First of all, it was the love that he had for us that was stronger than all of that. But the other thing is, is that we were told in Hebrews chapter 2, right before this, oh dear flock, please listen to this. This man, verse 6, Jesus Christ, well, came down for us. And the writer here of the Psalms, and now in Hebrews that he's quoting the Psalms, says, what is man, what is you and I? That God would even be mindful of us to do such a thing. Or that the son of man that you would visit to him. But God allowed him to be made a little lower than the angels. And afterwards crowned him with glory and honor. And set him over the works of the hands. But now in verse 9. 
Now we are able to see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for every one of us. When he was in that darkness for three hours screaming, it was because the fires of hell came across him for my sins. And he was tasting death for me during that time and paying my penalty so that I might live. For it became him, verse 10, that of whom were all things and by whom all things are. That means the God who sat on the heavenly realm and created everything that there is. <clears throat> it became him to give all of that up for this very purpose. So that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil. You see the jealousy that was stronger and the devil trying to take us. The love was stronger than being God and being death. And love fought jealousy and love prevailed to purchase us back to God. Look at verse 13. And to deliver us who had been in the fear of death all of your lifetime, subject to that bondage of that fear of death, that he may loose us from that. He took on himself, not the nature of angels, but mankind, so that he could set us free from that bondage and that fear. And we no longer have to be afraid of the second death. He took upon himself all of that and it made him to be like us so that he might be our high priest and that he could bring. Now here's the reason. You know what the joy was that was set before him through love? I don't even have it up there. Is it on the next slide? It's not then. I didn't put the slide up there that I wanted you to see. If you're there in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this in verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered and was tempted, he is now able to succor or to help and to, to confirm us that are tempted. And this was the joy. And bring many sons to glory. He died for the joy that was set before him, which was to bring you and I, the sons, to glory with him. And it says that he is able then to bring them up. And I want you to know that that's the greatest exhibition of love that there ever was. And it was a love that overcame the fear of not being God. And the fear of death, even the death of the cross and the shame that it brought. So that you and I might become the sons of God. And that we also who had been fearful of those things should not be fearful any longer. And I can't imagine that he would do that for a wretch like me. So as our praise team comes on up. Death was swallowed up in victory by love. 
And I hope that this day that the word of God has came to you in such a powerful way and anointed by the Holy Spirit that you no longer are starting to have any of those type of fears because we have a God who loved us that much to shed himself of his robe and his crown and take on the form of man so that he might bring us to glory with him and loose us from those things. We have saw the great examples of those who have already faced it and was resuscitated back into the body and said, for me to live is still Christ and to die is going to be gain. I hope that we have learned that we have a Savior who on that day that we're going to look to in December 25th that the world proclaims as his birth I want you to know the love and the decisions that was made before that that said, I will leave and I will come down and I will be born just like you and I will face all of that so that I can redeem you to where I am there you may be also. And Father, I pray the anointing of your holy word to be upon your congregation this day. Father, they are your saints. They are your bride. They are your people. They have chosen to be here to worship you, to love you, and to trust in all of these promises. And Father, I pray that the word of God will be made alive and powerful within them. That it will be more powerful than all of our fears. And it's going to take a while. It did me. And I still ain't all the way there. But Father, I pray that we get there. I pray that you continue to work with us, to strengthen us, to endow us with your word. We thank you for your inexpressible gift, your love. We pray that our worship this day has been acceptable in thy sight. It was in spirit and in truth, Father, and we have sang and we have prayed and we have expressed your word. We've shed tears together. Pray, Father, that you will encourage each and every one and protect them as they leave this day and take this word with them forever. Thank you for fellowshipping with us in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.